BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, I'll be taking your calls on everything from slugs, houseplants and even birds of paradise. I've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls and this week we start with Dennis from Eastwood. Hello, Dennis. How can we Good help morning, you? Good morning, Ken. How can we help? Uh, I hear people do it. I've got an eight by four foot lawn. Quite and I'd small. Like to turn it into a wildlife garden. Got any ideas? Right. Um, do you mean a wildlife garden or a sort of wildflower type meadow? Well, I yeah, know- I suppose you know for you know all the bees and butterflies and right. Um, when you've got it, it's quite a challenge as you most likely guessed it's not yeah. simple and it's not just about throwing a bit of seed around now the 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 thing about wild flowers is that and it'd be interesting if anybody's listening that's tried growing wild flowers successfully and they can give us a call on 0800 111 4041 but they don't like good quality soil so that's the first thing so hopefully you haven't fertilized your lawn too much in the in the last year if if that is the case, then you could try seed. Seed is the most inexpensive. You can buy wildflower mixes and you would apply that in the spring, about March time, and you'd put that on very similar to how you would um, be putting on, say, a grass seed. You'd scrape the top of the lawn with a scarifying rake and then you'd broadcast it on and perhaps... With a sieve or something very light, you'd use some soil or some potting compost, some soil-based compost or even a lawn dressing and just brush it over. Now, when I say a lawn dressing, I don't mean anything with fertiliser in it. Uh, That's why lawn dressing is quite useful because it's made up of a sand, uh, soil and a little bit of uh, compost. might be peat or it might be peat alternative. So that is one way. The better way is that you can send away for plugs of wild flowers. Now, that is the easiest way, Dennis. Do you reckon you'd do that, or do you reckon you'd yeah, try this? Yeah, would be a good idea, wouldn't it? Yeah. Now, there's there's several several companies. If you go... Are you a web person at all or not? No. You're not. OK. Well, if you look in the back of gardening magazines... Yeah. Something like Amateur Gardening or, or um, Garden News... They will, you will find adverts for wildflowers, particularly as you go towards March. And they will send them, just like you would buy a plug plant, um, they'll send them through to you on the post, in the post, and uh, you'll, you'll get them. And what you do is you just dig a hole and pop them in. Now, that is one of the easier ways of actually doing it. Oh, right. So what do you think? Yeah, I'll give it a try. You know, now, where, like is, where, where is this lawn? Front, back, near the house? Front. Or? Front. Front. So you're going to make it, yeah, you could give it a go. Yeah, and, I'll give it a go then, Ken. And let your grass grow, because the grass you want to grow and allow that to seed, because the seed is valuable, um, you know, valuable food for birds in the, in the future. So, you know, 
You've Apparently got that... you cut it back in July or something, don't uh, you? Well, I like, to, I like to leave it till August, Ooh. in all honesty. Um, and that's purely because I, I think I find August, it works, it works better. Oh, right. Yeah? Thanks very much, Ken. That's all right. That is a pleasure. All the and, best for Christmas. And you. Have a good one. And let us, can you let us know how you get yeah, on? I'll because that would be touch. interesting. Yeah, when keep I us in touch. Yep. Yeah. Thank you very much indeed. Bye-bye there. Thanks now, a lot. Bye. Um, interestingly, uh, Mike in Colchester has let me have a... Uh, he sent me a picture of... This is the tea we discussed last week, and that was the, from the, growing from the jasmine, this jasmine bulb. Thank you very much, Mike. It is uh, something that I hadn't come across. Aren't I bad? Hadn't come across that at all. And... Uh, and we need, to, we need to catch up on things like that because... I don't know absolutely everything, you know. Let's go now to Marlene from Great Tay. Now, Marlene from Great Tay, you're talking about something that I'd like to know where you got it from as well. Where did you get Is it a bird of paradise plant, Marlene? Before, we, but we bought it back from Madeira. Oh, right, yes. We a bought lot the of, seeds back and my husband uh, he's grown them on. in the greenhouse. Yeah, uh, we've had them for many years now, but uh, I, I was interested last week in the person that rang you up and said, "Where do I keep it in the winter?" Well, it's got to be indoors because I know they were going to keep things. it outdoors, weren't they? Yeah. Well, I've got thirteen flowers on mine at the moment. Wow. How big is the plant? I mean, what size pot is it in? I mean, is it bulging out of its pot because they always like being, you know, full of. Full of pot, don't they? Full, well, filling they the pot. They come out with massive. Um, the roots look like great big snakes. <laughs> yeah. But last year, my husband split them up um, into four other pots. Right. And we've given two away and kept two ourselves, and we've got flowers on them. And um, uh, they're absolutely beautiful. Now, but, where where do you keep the plant? Because uh, I've, I mean, I see a lot of these. I mean, I don't see a lot, but I hear about a lot, and I have seen people and they often put them by say a patio window so that they get good really good light because it's light it's not necessarily sun and heat is it it's light they need no, isn't it right because we go out to the canary islands in the winter and they grow out there in the middle of the road so they are they they're are a tropical flower they're but weeds the summer, they're, come we on they're out onto our decking at the back oh, where right. our patio doors are yeah um uh we've got four pots now mm -hmm. and I water them very sparingly. I don't give them a, a great deal of water even in the summer. Uh-huh. Um, and then we feed them. Yeah. And then in October, we bring them into our annex at the back of the house. So at the moment, they're in the house. And they're just huge, absolutely huge. And are they by a, a, a window in the annex? Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah. They've got to have the light. So they the have, sun, haven't they? Yeah, the sun comes in. And then I have a very small amount of heating on in there. I don't have it very hot, just to keep them warm. And uh, water them about every month, six yeah. weeks. Yeah, because if they have too much, they just rot, don't they, at the base? They don't like too much water. No, they don't. And what I do is I bring the water from the water butts into a watering can, Yeah. leave it in the room so it gets to a nice temperature, so it's not freezing cold water. And then just give them, in fact, they're due for a water tomorrow. Um, and that will be it then. They won't be watered anymore now until about February. Right. 
But they are, yeah, 13 heads I have at that the moment is, just starting to break open. That is so impressive, isn't it? It so is. Impressive. I think we grew them from a little seed. And we yeah. went out to Fortaventura recently uh-huh. and we bought back, have you seen the white bird of paradise? I tell you what, I'm honest, I have never seen the white one. So you yeah, got, well, you're going to grow that on now? Yes, well, we bought, bought them home and my husband's going to start growing those. Um, yeah. Hopefully next year they'll start, but they take about seven to eight years before they actually flower. Right, yes, yeah, so you've got to be patient, haven't you? Very, very patient and talk to them very nicely. I like that. Talk to them nicely. Marlene, that's, thank you very, very much for giving us a call on that. It's really nice to hear. Uh, you know, it's a success story, but it's also, as you quite rightly say, um, people list on a regular basis and people will pick up tips just like the people last week. Yeah. So they are. That's that's uh, a nice little story there. And we go on to Paul from Whittam. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ken. What are we talking about today, Paul? Well, well you talked about a gentleman about a wildlife garden. Yes. I oh, my Lord, what I did last year, out of what yeah. you, the magazines you mentioned, I sent away with some plug, little plug, wild plug plants. Yeah. And, that, and I put them in my lawn and they, last year and they're doing quite well. So My did, lawn doesn't have no fertiliser, don't even feed it, it just has to look after itself. You know, well, uh, of course, the thing, what I was saying is, and it, it's, it's, you've really reiterated what I was saying, is that the, they don't like rich soils. And no, in fact, no. that, I mean, you know... My, that, my lawn does get nothing. I mean, it doesn't get a water or anything over the years. It's, uh, How did so, it cope through the summer then, uh, Paul? Um, it, 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 it was rock hard to start with, my lawn. Yeah. It, it, and in the winter, they've got the now, but it's only a small section, it's shady. It's, it's really boggy. And in the summer, it's like concrete. Mm. But I managed to get thing like to get the plug plants down, made the hole slightly bigger, and just used just put like in with a bit, bit of peat. Nothing that's got too much in, you know. Yeah. And and they're okay. Um, you know, they're taken okay. Normal ones like oxide daisies, cornflowers, purple loosestrife. Yeah. And the, and the wild digitalis, you know. I know you can get some very interesting effects, can't you? I mean, that purple loosestrife. I mean, that's marvellous. It's about three or four foot tall. And it's marvellous when it's all in flower. It's flower for three or four months. I know you can get a lot of colour, can't you, from that's wildflowers? Yeah, and I'm doing a bit more, another section now. And I'm, I'm really sort of into the wildlife one now, yeah. That's and, good. Um, and it, it's, I'm, not, I'm not quite taken with that now, yeah. Well, we're going to be talking about wildlife a little bit uh, later on. Um, so, in fact, it's something that, you know, you might be able to... You know, I think your point is a very important point, and in fact, it's something that comes up in in my my discussion. So, you know, it's uh, good to hear, Paul, that you're in Whitham, actually doing your bit for nature, really, aren't you? Uh, yes. <laughs> Thank you very much Bye. for your call, Paul. Well, there's Paul, who's got a wildlife. Well, it's a wildlife garden, but it's not. It's wildflower garden, a wild lawn. You know, he's growing wildflowers in his lawn so it can't be all bad can it time now to take a look at the plant of the week which is viburnum bobman tense dawn why would you choose such a plant at this time of the year as you drive around you'll see clusters of pink flowers up bare ready brown stemmed plants that is viburnum bobman tense dawn they're a deciduous plant Sort of darkish green leaf with quite heavy veins, not a massive looking plant. You know, the leaf, not exciting at all. But as soon as they drop, come December, P. 
pink, fragrant flowers. Sometimes white, but mainly pink. The bush will grow two to three metres high, perhaps metre wide. Absolutely fantastic shrub and should be in pretty well everybody's garden. Uh, they like moist conditions, but they don't like sitting in water. But who does like sitting in water, in all honesty? Preferably a well-drained but moist conditions. Then. Um, how do I look after it? Well, you don't let it go, grow and grow and grow and grow. What you actually do is you cut possibly a half, maybe a third of the stems out after flowering in the spring. And then new growth will appear. And that way you get new growth, which will then form your flower for the coming season. It's just a fantastic plant. It should be in everybody's garden to give you colour at this time of the year. So remember, by Burnham Bodden and Tents, Dawn, that's the shrub for this week. I've got an email here from Ian Plum. Now, Ian Plum says, I would like to replace a large Bramley seedling, five metres high, eight metres diameter, with two smaller apple trees, one for eating and one for cooking. It's got a large garden for them. Any thoughts on different varieties? Now, the interesting thing is he's talking about getting large varieties. Now, firstly, Bramley. I mean, what a tree. Um, remember that the Bramley seedling came from one man who grew this unusual tree that was a Bramley. Bramley is, if he's getting good, if Ian, you're getting good apples from this tree, it means that you've got other apple trees in the area because it is what they call a triploid and it needs two other trees to actually pollinate it. Now that is a, is an interesting one. Now, what are you going to get? One for eating, one for cooking. Well, of course, the, the, the thing is my my struggle is that today, most of the apple trees that you buy are on small, on dwarf stock. So if they're on a dwarf stock, uh, you, can't, you can't get a very, very large tree. Um, most are grown on M26, M27s, which are quite small stock. You can sometimes go to um, a nursery and get them on a slightly larger stock. And if you want a, a standard tree, you want to look out for a standard tree. A um, lot of garden centres do sell fruit trees and you can have a good look around them. Um, if you've got apple trees in the area, which it appears you have, because if not, your Bramley wouldn't even be producing fruit, um, you haven't got to worry about the pollination quite so much. If not, remember, if you get an eating and a cooking, You've got to join them up. One tree that does not do well in Essex is actually Cox's Orange Pippin. However, Queen Cox does a lot better. There are lots of great trees out there today. I mean, you know, Jazz is a good eating apple. Uh, in the old days, we used, to, we used to go a thing called James Grieve, and you still find James Grieve around. Now, James Grieve, you can use as a cooker, when you first pick it, it's a lovely green colour and it goes a really fluffy, fluffy sort of apple. And then a bit later on, the colour comes in. And when the colour comes in, you can pick it off as a juicy apple. And my word, is it juicy? It is absolutely delicious. Um, so really, it's, 
it's up to you to go and find an apple you like. Now, sometimes people will try and find those apples in the supermarket, but most, I mean, jazz is in supermarkets, and yes, you can buy jazz. A lot of the apples you can't find in supermarkets. Um, I've been looking out for Egremont russets, and you can't find russets in many places. You have to go to a farm shop usually to get uh, russet apples. Um, that's one of mine. You see, I would grow russet because I like russet. Um, I would not necessarily grow cocks, but you see what I mean? Cocks doesn't grow great. So go to a good garden centre, look for a tall stemmed apple tree. Um, if you struggle a bit, there's one called Blackmore Nurseries. Um, you'll find them on the web. They've been growing fruit trees for years. They're in Worcestershire, but they're a very, very skilled bunch of people. I've just bought two fan-trained apricots from them. Um, and I had the other year, we bought a whole collection of apple trees and I got standard trees and this was to plant an orchard for a customer. So they do do what I call a proper standard, which means you get a stem of something like one and a half metres um, and then the head, because a lot of us uh, don't want a small low growing tree because then you can't mow round it, you can't cut round it. Now when you plant, just a few tips for anybody else planting apple trees at this time of the year, if you're planting it, I would suggest that what you do is that you cut a, a ring round the tree and you keep it as soil. Grass you do not want up to a newly planted tree, so that's really very very important to think about. So they are, that's something Hopefully I've helped you, Ian. I'm not going to give you specific varieties because it's very much a taste thing. So try and look at what you can get in local garden centres first. And if no luck, go to a specialist nursery that I have just mentioned. Don't forget that you, if you've missed any of this, you can catch up on BBC Sounds app. Um, and that way you can get lots of information about, uh, about it as well. Now, um, just fit in, there's, a, there's a John Curd has also emailed me. Don't forget, you can give us a call. Uh, don't forget that number is 0800 111 4041. That's 0800 111 4041. 8133, put Essex on the front if you'd like to send us a message. Um, Please see attached a picture of something which has taken over a sizable section of my lawn, which is what is it, and more importantly, how can I get rid of it? Thanks in advance for your assistance. Now, if I'm honest, I don't actually know the name for that weed. Um, weed in lawns has been a major problem this year. Now, the thing about it is, what I would do with that one is that I would use a spot weeder on it, um, but you're wasting your time at this time of the year. It would not work fast enough for you. Uh, I, if it depends on the size of the lawn, I'd go around with a trowel or a weeding knife and dig most of it out. They've got a very uh, longish root on them, those have, um, but I don't know the exact weed that it is, and I'm not trying to pretend I know any differently. Um, so see how you get on with that. Come spring, use a selective weed killer, but you will need several applications. But I, if it were me, I think I'd get a ready to use and go around and zap each sort of clump of weed as an extra as well. I might start by doing that, see how you get on with that, and then use an application across the whole lawn. I would use liquid. I would not 
use granular and I hope that helps but I definitely will get out there and start digging some of those out nice boxing day job get your friends and family out there and start digging John is that all right yeah give them both a kitchen knife that'll work let's go back to the phones now and talk to Sheila from Great Dumbo hello Sheila hello there um what what I'm phoning for I've got a, a, um, a, a, a amaryllis. amaryllis yep yep um I had it last year yeah. And it's put it outside and done everything that I should have done to it. Brought it in this year, and it was all the, all the green part was coming up beautiful. But as I'm looking at it now, it's got loads of little, little tiny flies. And I'm wondering whether I, you know, if it's going to carry on or whether I should uh, repot it right. or what am I going to do with it. Now, these are on the, on the, are they on the compost or on the actual plant? No, they are on the compost. Right, they're scary flies. Tiny little things. Yes, yeah, scary flies, they're called. Now, they? <clears throat> yep, they actually do breed within compost. They love peaty-based compost, and they do really well in compost, actually. Um, yeah. If we never worry about them, I mean, no, hang on, hang on. We never worry about them causing any damage. However, no. they do actually nibble very slightly the roots, but they're not problem that's going to damage your plant okay. the biggest thing is that they're blooming irritating because every time you touch a plant up they come don't they they do and what you can do is if you get um an in have you tried using any indoor spray insecticides yeah i have done it but they still right. come okay well what you need to then do is get now, I'm not really supposed to recommend this, but I will anyway, is that you can get one for vine weevil. Okay. It's, it's a, called a drench, yeah. right? And what you do is you dilute it and then you pour it through the plant. Okay. Now, if through. you do... Yeah, yeah. You, you water it heavily with it and it will go into the compost and that way you should be able to eliminate them. All right, okay. Well, we'll give it a go anyway. <laughs> yeah, and let me know how you get on. I yep. will, but, but the uh, the leaves itself, they're fine. They're about oh, over two foot high because it was like last year's one, really. But it's not like one of the ones this year's one. It was last year and it's come up lovely and green, but I don't think that middle bit's going to come out. Um. Not if these flies are going to uh, keep coming. Oh, that's... It sounds like you've got a goodie. You can't tell. You see, they don't always flower every year, do they? Well, it was last year. It was absolutely beautiful. It had all, well, more and than did just... You, did well, it had about two or three of the lovely things what come out the top. But, you know, I don't know about this year. It's the second time I've had it, you see. Well, sometimes they just have to have a rest, but it's very important that you let the leaf all die back and uh, during that period, give it a give it it feed. All, I did everything what, yep. what you told me because I'll... I phoned up before about it. But... So it's, it's my fault, Sheila, it's not flowering, I reckon, don't you? <laughs> I don't know who's fault. Them flies, I think. But yeah, get, okay, get we'll rid have of the, a go with the... And let me, know how, let me know how you get on, won't you? Yeah, I will. Okay, okay. thank you Thank you. Um, that was um, Sheila talking about scary fly. And we've, we've actually had uh, an email about flies, but I'll, I'm going to come back to him because he's, he's even out of the county. Absolutely very impressive. Uh, let's go to Joan, and then I'm going to be talking... I'm going to be talking then about... Um, just after we talk to Joan... 
After we talk to Joan, I'm going to talk about slugs uh, because I think we've got an interesting thing coming up about slugs. Uh, Joan in Harold Hill, what you got for me, Joan? Right, at the back of me is an enormous school playground. It goes all the way along and it's grass. Oh, yeah, yeah. And obviously I think someone's feeding the foxes over there. Oh, and they are enormous. I follow all the rules, the bags are out of the way, but they have a party every night in my garden, right? <laughs> And the problem is, yeah. I've got, well, they're not young, but they're children who touch things and their balls and that are out there. Yeah. And um, and then, of course, they will touch them. Are they going to catch anything? What can I put down that's safe for dogs? It is very, very, what, you've got dogs yourself, have you? My, my um, grandchildren bring their dogs around. Yeah. There's nothing much you can do to get rid of foxes. I have to be no, honest. I don't want to get rid of them. I want no. to make sure they're not getting germs. Or ah, I don't know. I, I imagine that they are similar to similar to um, to dogs and cats. That you do yeah. their their excrement. I would not like to get onto any children. I would be yeah. very very careful. I don't know the ins and outs of what whether they carry any diseases. But I would definitely be very, very careful about it. Right, it, it's Nothing really I can important. Spray on the no, grass. no, it's removal is the so important thing. It's removal of. Right. Okay. Just like, then. Just like you would with a dog. Yeah. Uh, and um, if you could, you could try some uh, sort of fox deterrents and uh, put them. Perhaps you could. Put, put it on the fence and try and stop them coming in. But oh, they're in all... horrible creatures. They just look mm. at you as if to say, what do you want? Yeah, I know. It's a, it's, yeah. a real, it's a real problem, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, keep listening, and if someone's got the answer to keeping foxes out of your garden, they'll, they can give me a ring on 0800 111 Thank you very much. That's Joan in Harold Hill, worried about foxes having parties in their garden. Back to your gardening questions in a moment, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Yes, I know it's Christmas, but some of us like to go out in the garden. I know Peter Seabra always reckons that he finishes his digging in the veg plot on Boxing Day. Well, I'm going to say cultivate the beds because the weeds have not stopped growing. I remember Lucy being in about a month ago, and Lucy said, tell you what, do the last hoe and get rid of the weeds and they shouldn't come back this winter. Well, they have. They've kept on growing. What have we got? Temperature today of, well, you know, nine degrees. Nine degrees today. Six yesterday. Four earlier on. Eight the day before. So weeds are growing. So just hoe lightly through the beds or cultivate using one of those three-prong cultivators and I'll tell you what I do, is if any pernicious weed, because nettles are showing their head, docks are showing their head, or even the odd thistle, would you believe? So what I'm actually doing is just you dig down with your trowel and whip them out. And that way, you've got rid of them ready for spring. So aren't that's one of my jobs. What would I do? Reduce your roses. Very windy yesterday. So reduce your roses by about a third to stop them rocking about, which stops the water going around the base of them and therefore stops rot, any rots. You do not want rots around the base of your rose. So they are, and I'll tell you what to do with your roses, come the beginning of March and we can go through pruning. So that's the tips for this little bit of the podcast. 
The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Now, um, slug pellets, yeah, slug pellets. We hear a lot about slug pellets and I've always, I suppose in a way, stuck up for them because generally one of the problems has been that people use them incorrectly. But from 2020, which isn't far away, it's in gardening terms, that is not a long way away, they're going to be banned. Well, the the ones that have metaldehyde are going to be banned from spring 2020. So it's just over a year. Um, A UK expert committee on pesticides and health and safety has decided that. And the executive that uh, the metaldehyde poses an unacceptable risk to birds, mammals and the environment. And it's not just the animals and the birds. It's actually because where it is used, a lot of it is used. Of course, it can also get into the water courses. Now, I'm going to be joined by someone who's a regular member of the team here, Dave Gillen, to discuss this with you. And hello, Dave. Welcome along. Hello, Ken. Hi there. Yeah, thank you very much indeed. Now, this is an interesting one, is because I know there was a stewardship agreement, wasn't there, about metaldehyde use. Um, yeah. that, that was the original sort of thing that the industry, horticulture and possibly agriculture, were trying to use less of it, weren't they, Dave? Yeah, and there was an agreement between the suppliers that they'd reduced the, the volume of the uh, amount sold at any one time. Um, I think it was down to about 250 grams rather than the standard sort of 750 or one kilo um, in the hope that you have less, you use less. (laughs) Now, is this, I mean, you know, I've always been a bit of a protector of metallic high slug pellets because the RSPB were people who always claimed that actually cats killed more birds than the chances of them actually um, picking up a, a dried up slug because that's what the actual metaldehyde does yeah. to the slug, doesn't it? Yeah, and some of them added in a, another element that made them um, light sensitive, so they would actually go underground to die, which, um, is, which, which actually meant less chance of being picked up. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think it's it's a, it's it's a big, a big going to be a big problem for people like yourself, where you're in the retail business? You've you know you're going to be looking for alternatives, aren't you? I think I think the alternatives have been there for a little while. Well, there's, there's one that has hasn't got any of it in there, and it uses ferric phosphate instead. Um, I've used them quite successfully. You know, trying to keep day, uh, slugs off for dahlias is quite a challenge, and uh, they they still work as as a killer. Um, without using it, but it's ferric phosphate. It needs to be slightly higher concentrations than what the, the old school ones were. Yeah. Um, but there is, they're not being withdrawn, and you know they've been around for for many years. They're, they're an organic slug killer. I think you've got to be careful if you use what what is termed as a bait, because a bait doesn't kill. No. A bait is just an attractant. So people think sometimes you use a bait to to kill and wonder why they've still got plenty of slugs. They're, which is they're used what, really for traps. Which is what the metaldehyde was a bait really, wasn't it? Because it attracted the slug to it, didn't it? That, that's it. And it's generally over... It's just... It's known to be the most over-applied chemical there is because people will go out and I'd term it they go out like they're feeding the chickens, you know, throwing blue pellets everywhere because they've seen a slug. Yeah. And, um, if, and they, 
the dosage is, is nowhere near that. It only needs about 11 pellets per square metre, which, which is, is, you'd hardly notice. You wouldn't even see them hardly, would you? I mean, I can no. remember when I was in retail, people used to keep coming back for bigger and bigger <laughs> chunks of this stuff. Yeah. And I remember saying, to, I mean, it was good for business, but I used to say to the guy, what are you doing with it? He said, I put it in heaps under tiles. And I said, well, why? <laughs> you know, it, them, yeah. people... <laughs> Is it that people don't read instructions ever? I know you I guys, you guys help. It's an understanding, isn't it? I think the the key, and you know, certainly when you grow dahlias and things that slugs like, slugs generally breed in May. Yeah. So before you actually plant anything into the ground, into your veg bed, you're better off going out there and actually putting a light scatter onto empty ground and deal with them before they breed and clear the site. So you're not starting with a problem. And thereafter, I used to just go around the outside of the plot with a light scatter then, because if they're inside, it will draw them out. Mm. And if they're going on the way in, hopefully you'll get them on the way in. But um, either that or, uh, as I have said, the, the next-door neighbour's garden is quite a good mm. place for them, but I wouldn't suggest it. <laughs> of course not. Of course not, though. It's, and it's interesting because one of their suggestions, the DEFRA suggestion, is that you plant crops more deeply. But actually, slugs go very deep, don't they? I mean, potatoes yeah. is a good example, isn't it? Yeah. They go very yeah. deep to get into a potato, don't they? That's it, yeah, and you dig them out later, and there they are, having a, having a, making a home of your spud. So I'm not I mean, convinced... I'm there, not there are potatoes that are slug resistant, so you yes. can slow that down, but um, you know, the, I think we need them. The other thing that we look back on, so we're, so what we've got to do is change people's their buying habits, but if they disappear, mortality hide ones disappear, um, people will be buying the ferric phosphate ones, won't they? Yes, uh, and quite likely we'll have the same discussion in a couple of years' time um, with ferric phosphate, but it's a natural occurring product, so it's it's less likely to you know, be a problem, it's certainly in water courses and things like that. Um, but there is still the other elements with, with wildlife if they're overused. The other interesting thing out of all this is that uh, Hayley Jones, the entomologist uh, from Royal Horticulture Science, has said it's growing concern, the impact of metaldehyde, and she talks about how it came about in the 40s. Um, and in fact, they always recommend and encourage slug and snail predators, including, you know, nematodes, etc., which I'm very pro. But the interesting thing is the RHS did tests, didn't they? And they found that some of the stuff that, in fact, you even sell, I'm sure, copper tape, wasn't it? And then people being encouraged to use oranges and grapefruits and crushed eggshells <laughs> and grit stuff. And they're saying it didn't work. It's quite funny, yeah. isn't it, that they're now saying, oh, well, hang on, hang on, we've got rid of this, but actually half the stuff that's being sold doesn't work anyway. Yeah, um, but I think there's a difference between deterrent and cure, isn't there? I think you yes. might get less slugs, but you're not going to stop a slug with a band of copper tape. But mm. um, I think the danger, again, is, is reading the instructions. The amount of times people would put copper tape around a plant, that a pot that they've had in the garden for perhaps a year, well, the slugs are already in the pot, so putting the tape around, it's not going to... Makes no uh... difference. <laughs> no. Makes no... Do you think people will be... You know how when in the past different chemicals have been banned, I mean, will people... <clears throat> do you think people will stockpile them? I mean, will oh, people uh... be... You see, this comes well... into use in 2020, in the spring, yeah. and in fact they're giving growers 
um, a period of time that they can, you know, work. I think six months they can. They can. Yeah. It's it's going to be legal to sell products containing chemical for outdoor use for the next six months, and then be allowed for a further twelve months, you know, to be yeah. used. So, yeah. do you think people? Will, I mean, I've watched this in the past. People bought stuff for club route, kept it in the shed. Um, yeah. You know, Bordeaux uh, mixture has been stored. Bordeaux mixture, you know. Do you think this will happen with slug pellets the same? I think those people that have a confidence, and that's what you know, using products and gardening is, isn't it? Confidence that it, yeah. it works and it does a job for you. Probably will uh, stock up a little bit and then see how long they can make them last. And the interesting thing is, of course, that this is a, a UK thing and not necessarily a European thing. So, in fact, people, yeah. could, people could be going on holiday to France we, and we Italy. We can't blame and put... Europe this time, can we? <laughs> no, we can't blame Europe. I, I was just going to blame Brexit, but we can't even blame Brexit for this one. Um, you might find that people are bringing them back. Do I mean, people do that, don't they? There's, there's quite a few things, isn't there, that, that are banned in one country and people yeah. just go out there and when yeah. they're out there, they stock up and bring it mm. back in the suitcase. So... So yeah, every chance. <laughs> so as a retailer, I know, you know, you come on the programme, but you are a retailer, you know, you're working in retail up at Abercorn Garden Centre. And Dave, do you, I mean, from your point of view, do you think it's going to be a problem or not? I think there are plenty of alternatives. Um, and I've noticed people um, naturally looking to, to find those alternatives more so than, than ever before. I think awareness and, and use is there, but... Um, I think it's just a bit of common sense that we need that needs to apply, be applied with all chemicals. Is just using them as prescribed and sensibly, and these problems generally don't come about. But um, there, there's alternatives, and I think they will they will come up with something else, and we can still control our slugs if we're we're careful about it. And that's the thing. I think what you just said right on the end there, Dave, is so important. It's being careful. We have got to be a bit more environmentally friendly when we're in the garden, really, haven't we? And farmers yeah. as well. I'm not. I'm not going to let them off lightly because they. <laughs> no, they no. And they've. They're going to have a, a similar problem because they're growing. You know. Um, crops, rape, seed oils and all those, and they have got a similar sort of problem, haven't they? Well, a lot of the time, the, um, these things are, are removed from retail sales, not always used from, from commercial use. So it's quite likely that farmers would be able to continue using some of the products that, that we're not allowed to use as, as general public mm. um, out in the field. So it's not really solving the problem because they put down a, a fair amount more than I would. Mm. So we'll watch this space. But, Dave, thank you very much for joining us today and, you know, uh, letting, letting people know of the alternatives that they can look for in the future and what's going to turn up in the next year. And uh, we look forward to catching up with you in the new year here mm -hmm. at BBC yeah. Essex. Thank you. Yeah, OK, bye. all the very best. Uh, that's Dave Gillen from Abercorn Garden Centre discussing slug pellets that are going to disappear in the spring of 2020. If you have a comment on that, we'd like to hear from you. Um, and that is what is going to happen. It's nearly there. Let's go now to Ray, who's given us a call on 0800 111 Ray, haven't heard from you for ages, Ray. I Where know, you... I know. I tried to phone you. I'm always doing something else. <laughs> I got back from a bike ride this morning. I thought, that's it. I'm going to phone. Right. What have we got, Ben? Well, a couple of things. You've talked about um, flower meadows. Yes. Um, do, have you gone through, like, the cutting regime and everything? Because I missed all that, and I need right. to know if it's on the um, Listen Again later on, the podcast. 
Right, you've got an interesting point. I think um, the original guy who rang and said he wanted to convert his lawn, he yeah. said that you have to cut it in July. And in fact, that's too early. You need to really do it in August. That's what I thought. To get, to get the seeds to set. Because yeah. really, you don't, and you don't... Well, some people leave it to lie. Others will gather. Because when you gather, you drop the seed, don't you? Well, because I thought leaving it to lie, although this is not what I phoned you about, so I want to be quick on this. That's all right. Um, leaving it to lie damages the structure of the uh, meadow anyway because it puts nutrients back into the soil, which you don't want. And not only that, it can cause rots. I mean, I go on and yeah. on about getting rid of leaf off lawns. Uh, absolutely, yeah. it's, it causes... It, it causes yeah, like rot. You, yeah, you've only got to get a wet spell and it absolutely ruins a, a wildflower yeah, meadow uh, and, and or a yeah. lawn. Yeah. Uh, so so if, it, if that's on, I'll listen to that later on. My main question, and the reason I found you, is about hardwood cuttings. Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Okay, so I know basically how to take hardwood cuttings, don't have a problem with that, but some of the more difficult ones, even as hardwood cuttings like fig or magnolia, yeah, and a few others. I don't. Yeah. Really, I can't remember them anyway. Uh, um, so they root best with heat. Now, is that bottom heat or just a greenhouse? No, no bottom. They really need a bit of bottom heat. I mean, okay. and it, uh, yeah. What is interesting is, in fact, <clears throat> I've had men. Quite, you know, we have different experts on. I always think of magnolia as being magnolia is one that, in fact, is always quite intriguing because most people will say magnolias don't bother, just go out and buy one, because no. because a lot of them, quite a few, are now grafted. A lot of magnolias are grafted, right. which means you get a much stronger plant, and that's quite yes. important. So that's a thought for you. But yes, they do need bottom heat if you want to get them to grow better. Okay, that's it. But going back to the grafting, you know. Grafting and other things like wisteria and stuff like that. Years ago, they weren't grafted and they grew quite well. We were happy with they them. They did, so, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if you prefer, you know, if you're happy to put up with a slightly maybe weaker plant, then I would have thought. It's, um, I mean, I'm no expert myself, but I would have thought that grew just as well. But, I th yeah, I so think maybe not just as well, but well enough to be a good plant. Acceptable, yeah, a, a good, good plant. plant. Yeah. No such thing as a bad plant, I was once told. Well, um, that's that's true. People are too quick to throw plants away, whereas they shouldn't be, yeah. should they? No, no. I usually go to local stores and buy the ones that are put on the don't like you anymore for sale, going cheap plants. And, and, and then look after them, them, yeah. Back. Yeah. It's not hard. No. Um, so, yeah, but other than that, all other species I'm putting out into basically field, which is an allotment. So they're going yeah, well, on there. Good. Yeah, in the trench and all that. But, yeah, so I, that's all I want to know. Bottom heat, perfect, excellent, good. Good. And it's very Merry nice. Christmas to you. And to you, Ray. Good to hear from you again. And you, Ken. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips I've got for you this week. Overgrown shrubs. I don't mind pruning them at this time of the year. Well, is it pruning or is it sorting them out? I think it's sorting them out, in all honesty. So I have been round a few gardens this week and seen some dreadful old extra big growth buddleias with bases four inches across. Viburnums that are now nine foot high and got trunks on them like trees. And also oh, Ellie Agnes. I went to a garden the other day. Ellie Agnes is like trees they are. 
but they're not. They're in the wrong place. They're covering the, the Burbuses behind them. So come on, think seriously about going round with a saw and cutting those big chunky bits down to the ground. You won't do any harm at this time of the year. Gives you a chance also to have a bit of a bonfire with all these bits. That's of course if, as long as you're in, not in a smokeless zone, or watch you don't offend the neighbours with them either. So there's plenty of things you could be going on with. And I'll tell you the other thing I like to do is get the mower out. Yes, get the mower out the shed. If it's dry enough and not wet and soggy your lawn, give it a final mow and make it look really good. So they are. That's what you need to do. Get out there and mow the lawn. And I suggest also that you edge it. Edge the lawn uh, round with your edging shears. And remember, in my first top tips, I've talked about cultivating the bed. So the beds will be cultivated, the edges will be neat, and then mown as well. What more could you do? Tell you what, though. Get that mower. When you finish with it, scrape all the debris off underneath because you'll get this gungy sort of grass that will stick to the underneath of it. And then give it a spray off with one of those spray oils. It will be then all ready to go when you want to get it out of the shed and go gardening again in the new year. We're going to be going back to the phones. I promised Marion that I would be chatting to her. Hello, Marion. Oh, hello, Ken. Thank what? you for answering my query. Well, hopefully answering my query. Um, it's about an indoor plant. <clears throat> Excuse yeah. me, I don't know what it's called, but if I can describe it, uh -huh. and, and it's got um, these sort of little white patches, balls on it. But anyway, it's, um, it's a, a long, fairly long leaf, wide leaf, and I call it a zebra plant because the, the leaf is green on the outside, the, in, the middle part of the leaf is a lighter green, but from that lighter green comes all these red lines. Do you, um, do you know what plant I'm talking mm, about? Blimey. No. Anyway, tell me no. what's going on. Let's just talk about well, the plant. It's, it's, what's your problem? Um, it's got these sort of white bits on it, which I've right. been wiping off, but they keep ah. coming back. Right, OK. Now, are they, are they fluffy like little cotton wool or not? No, they're more like, um, I don't know, I wouldn't a say scale? Like cotton wool. They're not that big. Size of a bit, size, bit bigger than a pinhead? Yes. Yeah, I think you've got scale insect. Really? Yes. Now, scale is something you get on indoor, but you've either got scale or woolly aphid. They're the two things that will be, and they're sticky. If you can wipe them off, it sounds all like my woolly aphid, but it, in fact, they're both a similar problem that indoor they plants are. get. Right. Yeah. Now, you can use a, um, a spray on them, right. but they're quite difficult to get rid of. Um, but you might better use the spray and use it on the wipe and therefore wipe at the same time. Okay. If you've got any leaf and stem that's got, is really covered and very much so with them, I would actually get rid of it completely. All right? right. Um, cut that leaf off. But right. that's the way to get rid of it. Oh, right. All right. Okay. Get an indoor, indoor spray and you're looking for woolly aphid and scale. Right. I'll just say that um, I'm just looking at the earth now that it's in, yep. the compost, 
and I think I might have been watering it too much. Would that have anything to do no. with it? No, if it is, if it, I think you've got an insect, I'm pretty sure it's an insect we're talking about here. The water shouldn't affect it at all. But this time of year, remember, Marion, plants need much less water purely yeah. because the light levels are low and they're not growing mm. that much at all. OK, then. Righty-ho, well, thank all you right. very much for your help. OK, Marion, have Bye-bye. a go and let us know. Next time, let me know how you're getting on with that. We're going to go to Paul in Bocking now. Hello, Paul, what you got for us? Good morning, Ken. you got a bit of a different one. It's not necessarily about plants. It was about a chap that used to live in Bocking years ago in uh, Convent Lane. Yeah. The chap's name was Henry Doubleday. What, what did he actually do? Well, double. Henry, I mean, Henry. My grandfather used to work by there at the sewage works, and he always used to say it was a special garden. But what did he actually do? Right, double day. Put together the John Innes. Uh, double day is is a method of gardening. Right, um, several things. They help put together the John Innes Institute with. Um, getting together the John Innes compost and the, and the makeup of that. And also Henry Doubleday, I think, was doing some, this non-dig thing, the non-dig program that you can okay. non-dig. He was basically one of the early fountains of knowledge of trying to understand the best way to cultivate the ground. And that's what a lot of it was about. And is there anything, you know, I've been led to believe by it's a lady an inst- that lives over the road. Is, he, is there any of that still going on in that name? Yes, yes, there's a Henry Doubleday Institute, even. Okay. So, yes, you can look them up and you will find all sorts of stuff about gar- gardening and horticulture, general horticulture. He was a real, you know, influence in the early oh, horticulture. He was a clever man. He was a oh. clever man. I mean, uh, is, yes. is there anywhere in Essex that you can go and see what they're actually doing now? I think there is somewhere up north. No, it's either Midlands or somewhere that you can actually go to the Henry Doubleday Institute. I'm sure there is something you can go to. Okay. Yeah, lovely. Thanks very much for that, Ken. And if anybody has been or knows more about it, give us a call now and we can tell Paul. All right? Thank you, Ken. Thank Thank you, you. Paul, very much indeed. And we go to... Oh, we did Marion, didn't we? Yes. We're going to David in Hadley. Hello, David. Hello. Good morning to you. What what do you got for us? Uh, I I bought some culture cum from a uh, breeder, a plant uh, stockist. Oh, yeah. And... uh, they came up beautifully, bar for one of them, which was covered in black, tiny black flies that I didn't recognise, on the blossom itself. Now, oh. I've let those die down, and yep. I, want, I want to treat the uh, ground around in any special way. Right, now with the colchicums, are you grow- were you growing them indoor or outdoor? Where have you had them growing? Outdoor, in a yep. raised bed. A raised bed, and they've still—they had black fly on on the on the foliage, even at this time of year. No, no, no not the foliage, the blossom. No, itself, sorry, so on on the flower. Could, I should have said, I shouldn't have said that because I should know that they don't produce their foliage until the spring, do they? Right. <laughs> it's all blossom, isn't it? It's all flower. Um, I'm very right. I'm very surprised that they've got black flies on them. All. All I would personally do is give them a bit of a blast with a pesticide just to see that there's nothing on the crown of the bulb so that as they... Because they're going into a bit more dormancy now before they start to produce their leaf, which will be in... Well, depending on the weather, it'll be in the next month or so. Yeah? Yes. So that's all I would do to them. 
Nothing Can else. I do that onto the soil or must I raise the bulb? I would just do it onto the bulb itself. I don't think I would worry about anything around in the soil at all. Right, okay. And so not, not lifting them. No, uh, you wouldn't have to because the crown is the crown the crown of the bulb should most likely just be showing, is it? Uh not quite, what with all the rain we've had. Just right. uh, just um, pull the soil away from round them and just give them a quick blast. That's all you've got to do. Okay, bless you. Thank you very much. And then watch them in the spring. And it's interesting, David, because not enough people grow colchicums. They're very underused. And I think it's because they're sold at a strange time of the year. They're often not in flower, and they're a bulb that sits there in the summer. And actually, so much so much colour can be gained from them, can't they? Beautiful flowers. Absolutely stunning. I saw them at Wisley yep. a couple of years ago and made a mental note to actually do something about getting some myself. Have you got they the purple? Have you got the purple ones, or...? They're purple. Yeah, because you can get white as well in them, so, you know, that's another yeah. thought for you for the future. Yeah, so a bit insipid, the white ones, though. I thought the purple ones were absolutely stunning, and certainly the display at Wisby was fantastic. And they do spread quite well, so if you leave well alone, they will just spread, so they work quite well on their own. Jolly good. Thank you very much. Thanks okay. Good to hear from you, and that is David from Hadley with Colchigan, which, let's face it, is absolutely fantastic. Now, I've got a, an email here, um, an email from Chris Goodwin. Now, Chris Goodwin says that, um, Hi, Ken, love the show, always listened uh, on the weekly commute up and down the motorway, wishing I was in the garden rather than being stuck in traffic. Um, now, he, funnily enough, he's talking about propagating black currants. He said, is it too late to propagate black currants from hardwood cuttings? No, you can stick them in, in theory, in November, but I'll tell you what, look at it, 10 degrees today, balmy. So, not a problem at all. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure, um, I'm sure all you need to do is take it, it's got to be, it's got to be reasonable, um, reasonable bit of um, wood, it wants to be ripe. It mustn't be too. It mustn't be too soft, and um, it mustn't be too soft because then it won't take. Um, um, so take a reasonable about nine inches, cut the bottom, and pop it in. I used to use just a bit of gritty sand, put it in a trench, and then push them into the gritty sand. It was as simple as that. So that's how I used to do it. Um, I would still do it. Definitely now, and see that you don't use too soft a wood. Nine inches long, pop them in the ground, forget all about them, and they'll be there next autumn. As easy as that. Um, what would I do with my alpine strawberries? Funny you say that, because I've got a garden that I look after that's got a few alpine strawberries growing in it. And I tell you what, I've been nicking them of late, but they weren't as tasty as in the summer. But I'll let them off because there wasn't enough sunshine, was there? So there, that's that's my excuse anyway. For And don't tell the customer, of course. Um, how would I do them? I wouldn't move them at this time of the year. I would leave them a little bit longer and... Uh, pot them up in the spring into a small pot with something like John in his number two, grow them on a bit, and then I would then plant them back. I think it's worth doing that if they're little clumps. 
When can you divide them? Same time. Do them in the spring now. Um, it's a bit wet. It's a bit claggy sometimes in the ground. And I would definitely just do it in the spring. Well, I think we got through pretty well everything except the gentleman from Frome in Somerset who's got these nasty little black flies. I think they're scarify. And I would again use a drench on your plants and hopefully that will get rid of the fly. I'm pretty sure that that's what you have got. So that is uh, through the emails as well. And just one last text which says from Lee, I put lumps of cat food out for the slugs. Uh, the slugs gather, they eat, they're easy to pick up, and then he disposes of them. I wonder where he disposes of them. He doesn't throw them over next door like Dave Gillen might have suggested, but I wouldn't dare suggest that you should do that at all, should I? Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.